Well, we are wrapping up our summer series in Proverbs today. Uh, if you are just joining us, this is your first time to Lebanon Christian Church. Uh, one, we welcome you. Uh, but number two, don't be worried. If you missed uh, some of the messages, there have been 11 of them. Uh, you can catch up on our YouTube channel or through our podcast uh, on your favorite podcast app. Uh, you can go to our website and see messages there. And if you're not even going to do that, there will be something for you to grab hold of today as we wrap up this summer series. I have to tell you, I think I told you this uh, anytime we walk through a book of the Bible, um, but I kind of get these bittersweet feelings when we're wrapping up a, a series. Uh, I feel like, at least for me, uh, being in the study every week, reading these words, it's like um, it's been so much a part of my life, Proverbs, over the last uh, four months, and um, and then this these two and a half months teaching through them. And uh, so to me, it's kind of a sad day to see Proverbs go away. I hope you've enjoyed the journey. I've heard a lot of positive feedback from many of you uh, about how God is using, uh, how his spirit is using these words to help you and shape you and uh, transform you. Um, our summer series has been called Live Well. Uh, the, the hope is that as we respond to, as we listen to, as we allow the wisdom of God uh, to penetrate our hearts and to shape our lives, uh, that we'll experience life as we ultimately desire it. From the very beginning, I, I've shared this sentiment is that every single one of us as human beings want to live well. Uh, I have never met a human being who wakes up in the morning and says, you know what, I want my life to be the absolute worst it can be. How can I wreck this thing as fast as I can? Now, does that mean that you're experiencing life at its best? Maybe not. Does that mean your life is pretty bad? Maybe so. But I don't know anybody that desires that. We, we desire to experience life well. Uh, and you may not know this, maybe you do, but that's because you are hardwired uh, for the more and the wellness that only God can supply. Uh, there's some wisdom in Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 11, that says that God has planted eternity in the human heart. You have planted inside of you a seed that longs for eternity. And the only way it's going to be nourished, the only way it's going to grow, the only way it's going to be cultivated and experienced life at its best is, is to be nourished by the eternal God and the things that matter to his heart. And so your desire to live well is placed in you by your creator, and living well is ultimately found in him. And so we've been turning uh, to Proverbs throughout these 11, uh, 12 weeks now, looking at the wisdom that God supplies because we believe that if we're made for eternity, that our eternal God holds the wisdom that we need to live well. And so Proverbs is 31 chapters long. Uh, we've looked at several of the themes. We've looked at um, our relationships, friendships in particular. How, how do we um, relate to one another well in our friendships? How do we choose friends wisely? We've looked at words, the words that we speak, the words that we write, the words that we text. Uh, we, we looked at how to make plans and seek counsel in a way that honors God. Uh, we've looked at money. How do you spend it? What do you do with it? How do you view it uh, to live well? Uh, we've looked at hard work uh, or laziness. Are we gonna choose to be people who work hard? Uh, we've looked at attitude and anger, our emotions, and even alcohol last week. How do we live well? And these are not an exhaustive list of the themes in Proverbs, but it, for us, was a good start at seeing what God wants for us. But along the way, along the journey, kind of standing in the shadows, not maliciously, but kind of looking out at us has been something we haven't talked about explicitly yet. 
and that is choice. Throughout Proverbs, there's presented this choice between wisdom and folly. Uh, You've probably heard the old cliche that life is the sum of the choices that you make. Uh, I like the way uh, author and speaker and leadership expert John Maxwell says it, uh, that life is a matter of choices. Every choice you make makes you. Our choices matter. Will we choose wisdom or will we choose foolishness or folly? In Scripture, wisdom is always associated with the wisdom of God, the ways of God, what God desires for us. Foolishness or folly is associated with that which stands against what God desires. Folly rejects the wisdom and the purpose and the ways of God. And as we've looked over the course of these 12 weeks now at the wisdom of Proverbs, it's consistent with the wisdom of all of God's word, we are confronted with a choice. What will we choose? Will we choose the wisdom that God offers as it comes to our friendships, our relationships, our words, our plans, our counsel, what we do with money, how we view hard work, what we do with our attitude and, and anger and alcohol, and the list goes on and on for every other thing in Scripture, in Proverbs. Will we trust God's wisdom? Will we choose wisdom or will we choose folly? Life is a matter of choices, and every choice we make makes us. We're going to be in Proverbs chapter 9 today as we wrap up. Uh, It's a fitting place to have for a concluding message for a few reasons, and I'll share some of those with you. Proverbs 9 ends uh, what we call the prologue of the book of Proverbs. Proverbs chapters 1 through 9 kind of have Solomon, the father, God speaking through him to us, charting this overview of wisdom and folly and the choice that stands before uh, his child, that stands before God's children, that stands before every human being. And chapter 9 kind of serves as this culmination of, here's the argument for wisdom instead of folly, what will you choose? And then the rest of the book gives all these statements of what wise people do in various uh, avenues and circumstances and experiences and decisions of life. So, so chapter nine kind of is this point of summary, this point of culmination. It's a beautiful passage of scripture, if you can say that. It's structured incredibly well. It's 18 verses. Uh, it's divided into three, six verse segments, uh, sections one and sections three, verses one through six and verses 13 through 18 share a lot of similarities as they kind of help us see this big choice between wisdom and folly. And verses 7 through 12 kind of act as this instructional interlude that links the two together. Uh, And we're going to look at these um, throughout the morning. We're going to start with sections 1 and 3, and then we'll end with what is in sections 7 through 12. So if you have your Bibles, Proverbs chapter 9, as you finish finding that on your device or your Bible, I want to pray over us. Father, I thank you for the rich, uh, profound, effective, inspiring, and transformational power of your word. God, you, through your spirit, have inspired it into the hearts, in the minds, the pens and quills of those who recorded them. 
And Father, they have stood the test of time and still stand like resolute pillars uh, even in our day, and they will continue to the future. Uh, Would you teach us through your incredible word today? Uh, Your word has power. It is living. It is active. It is useful. Uh, Teach us through Proverbs 9, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. Proverbs 9, verses 1 through 6 first. Wisdom has built her house. She has set up its seven pillars. We'll come back to this here in just a few moments. The writer personifies, we'll talk about what that means in a moment, wisdom in this section, gives human characteristics to wisdom, and that'll be important in a moment. Wisdom has built her house. She has set up its seven pillars. She has prepared her meat and mixed her wine. She has also set her table. She has sent out her servants, and she calls from the highest point of the city, let all who are simple come to my house. And to those who have no sense, she says, come, eat my food, and drink the wine I've mixed. She's trying to attract the attention of the simple, the gullible, those who lack understanding. And as that word is used here in these early chapters of Proverbs, it's not an insult. It's just speaking to the fact that there are some people who don't know what they don't know. They're unlearned when it comes to different places in different parts of life. So come, let all who simple come to my house. Come eat my food and drink the wine I've mixed. Let your simple ways, leave your simple ways, and you will live. Walk in the way of insight. Now fast forward to verses 13 through 18. Listen for the similarities. Folly is an unruly woman. Once again, folly is personified as a woman. Folly is an unruly woman. She is simple and knows nothing. She sits at the door of her house on a seat at the highest point of the city, calling out to those who pass by who go straight on their way. Let all who are simple come to my house. To those who have no sense, she says, stolen water is sweet, food eaten in secret is delicious. But little do they know that the dead are there, that her guests are deep in the realm of the dead. It's not hard to see the similarities between these two sections, is it? We have Lady Wisdom on the one hand, who has built her house, Seven pillars support it, incredible foundation, prepares a, uh, a meal of sustenance for uh, those she's calling to, and she invites them to life. On the other hand, we have woman Folly, who carelessly has not really paid attention to the structure of her home. She takes her chair out on a high point, and she calls out, come, learn from me. But she's not prepared an elaborate meal. Uh, She simply has stolen someone else's water and appeals to the immediate sensual pleasures that ultimately lead to death. Both wisdom and folly, lady wisdom and woman folly, are issuing an invitation. Both of them. It's the same invitation. Look at verse 4 in chapter 9. Let all who are simple come to my house. Let all who are global, let all who need understanding, let all who lack sense come to my house. What does wisdom folly say? Woman, not wisdom folly, woman folly, what does she say? Verse 16, let all who are simple come to my house. And to those who have no sense, she offers another invitation. Both Lady Wisdom 
and woman folly are inviting those who lack knowledge, those who lack understanding, those who lack how to li- understand how to live to come and to learn from them. They both offer an invitation. They both offer intimacy. Maybe you don't see that here, but let me show you where it shows up. Verses two and three for Lady Wisdom. She's prepared her meat and mixed her wine. She's also set her table. She has sent out her servants and she calls from the highest point of the city. Verses 14, 15, and 17 for Woman Folly. She sits at the door of her house on a seat at the highest point of the city, calling out to those who pass by who go straight on their way. And what is her invitation? Stolen water is sweet. Food eaten in secret is delicious. How is this an expression of offering intimacy? In the ancient Near East, we even see this, by the way, with Jesus, to dine with someone was to offer relationship. It gets a little more scandalous when you turn to a woman inviting a man for a meal. She is saying, I I want to know you. I want to have an intimate relationship with you. And that doesn't necessarily mean sexual intimacy, but it is saying, I want you to come. I want you to learn from me. I want to learn about you. I want an intimate relationship with you. So by offering a meal, Lady Wisdom is saying, come, I want you to come to know intimately the things I want to teach about the wisdom and the ways of God. Woman Folly says, no, I want you to come and learn from me. I want you to learn and intimately come to know a different way to live, a way that will satisfy your immediate tastes and desires. They both offer an invitation. They both offer intimacy. This is where I want to pause for a moment and talk about personification. Maybe you remember that from English or literature class. Personification is when we ascribe or we give to non-human things human characteristics. And it can even go for virtues like wisdom and folly. It's a, it's a literary technique that's been used. It's used in the books that you still read to this day. It's used in lines and movies because it helps us visualize things we couldn't otherwise visualize. Here's an example of how we personify things even in our own culture. How many of you have heard the statement, love is blind? Anybody? Can love really be blind? No. But it's a way to think about how love doesn't see things the same. It reaches beyond barriers that typically stand between us and other people. I heard one time someone telling a story about a man who, who was going to go have a strong conversation with someone and talked about all the courage he built up, all of his bravery, how he was ready to go in and tell his boss what he thought. And then um, the, the next statement that came was, uh, but in the moment, his courage got up and walked away. Can courage walk away? No, but it's a way to picture and understand what is happening. Here, the writer of Proverbs, Solomon, uses personification. He talks about lady wisdom. Again, wisdom relates to all the wisdom of God, the ways of God. In fact, he's referred to lady wisdom previously. Uh, Chapter 2 has this whole speech by lady wisdom. It's a way of him saying, listen, God has this instruction for you. And like a noble woman, he's inviting you to come and learn from him. He wants to show you how to live well. He wants to invite you in to understand life and how to live. But at the same time, uh, there's someone opposed to God's best. And that's woman folly. Now, Proverbs chapter 9 is the first time we have folly personified where uh, she's treated like a woman. However, the description for woman folly is used earlier. She's called an unruly woman in verse 13. 
that can also be translated brash or boisterous. If you were to rewind in Proverbs, in Proverbs chapter 7, you would hear the father giving strong warnings to his child about an adulteress who's like a prostitute trying to seduce the young man to leave God's intent for sexual intimacy and instead satisfy his urges with her. And those are the same words used to describe folly. Someone offering something easy something that appeals to the carnal senses, but isn't really what God intends. Lady wisdom and woman folly, they're calling out. And even if we don't use that type of language today, even that feels like a little much to us, as we have walked through these various themes on wisdom and Proverbs, I'm guessing you can hear the voices of those two. Will we choose wisdom? Will we hear the voice of wisdom, the noble woman wisdom calling and saying, here's what I intend for you for relationships, for friendship, for sexuality, for words, for plans, for counsel, for money, for work, for attitude, for anger, for alcohol? Or will you hear the voice of woman folly saying, don't listen to the wisdom. God's holding out on you. Do whatever feels good when it comes to friendships and sexuality and words and plans and hard work and money and attitude and anger and alcohol. And the list goes on and on. Lady wisdom, woman folly. I think the language that we have for uh, woman folly of being unruly is really fitting. Because what we see characterized in woman folly is someone who is haphazard, who has no boundaries, who doesn't really care. Uh, just look at how they, they, they come to this place of authority calling out to people. Look at the description for woman folly in verse 13. Unruly woman, she's simple and knows nothing. Verse 14, she sits at the door of her house on a seat, the highest point of the city. Like she's just taken a chair, which is a, a symbol of a seat of authority in the ancient Near East. And she's put it up and she says, hey, I'm sitting on my throne, everybody listen to me. She, it's false authority, it's fake authority, but, but she's just rushing into it saying, hey, come listen to me. Look at the difference when compared with Lady Wisdom in verse one. Wisdom has built her house. She has set up its seven pillars. She prepares a meal and then she calls out. She is prepared. She is uh, someone who's built a foundation, a strong foundation. We'll get to this towards the end of the message, but what I find really interesting here is when Jesus is appealing to a group of people, some of whom have missed the purpose that God has for their lives, Matthew chapter five, six, and seven. He gives all these new instructions. You've heard that it was said this, I say to you this. And after he gives all these instructions on how to really follow God and honor God and live wisely, what does he say at the end of Matthew chapter seven? Those who hear my words and do them is like a wise man who builds his house upon a rock. And who are the foolish people? They're like someone who haphazardly builds upon the sand and it doesn't stand. So Jesus uses very similar terms. We begin contrasting woman folly and lady wisdom. Look at the meal that's provided. Verse 17. Stolen water is sweet. Food eaten in secret is delicious. She's not even prepared her own food. She's offering something she's taken. She's calling people to think about what it feels like, what it tastes like. It's sweet. It's delicious. She's appealing to the senses. 
But what has woman folly, oh, I mean, sorry, lady wisdom done? She's prepared her meat, verse two. She's mixed her wine. She's set a table. She's preparing something of sustenance. Lady wisdom offers something that will last. Folly offers something that will be fleeting and actually lead to, to danger. And in all of this, the wise teacher Solomon is trying to urge his son, who he's trying to steer towards wisdom, to make a choice. Will he choose to respond to God's wisdom like a noble woman who's calling out, saying, I want you to live well. I've got a purpose for your life. I've got a way I intend for you to live in all these different areas. Or will you listen to the voice of woman folly? And that's just not the question that Solomon's son has to answer. It's not just the question that the people of Israel had to answer. It's the question that every single one of us has to answer. What voice will we listen to? Will we respond to the voice of Lady Wisdom or we respond to the voice of woman folly? He's painting this picture. It's a beautiful picture. If you, if you imagine uh, life as uh, this journey down a street, it's, it's life's street. As you journey down life's street, you have a choice. There will be the voice of wisdom calling out from her well-established house. She's prepared for you. She has the best in mind for you. Or you can respond to the voice of folly, who is brash and unruly and boisterous and a seductress. Which one will we choose? One will lead to life and one will lead to death. Look at those descriptors, chapter nine, verse six. Lady Wisdom says, leave your simple ways and you will live. Walk in the way of insight. Her ways lead to life. Look at the ways of woman folly, but little do they know, this is verse 18, that the dead are there, that her guests are deep in the realm of the dead. The way of wisdom leads to life. The way of folly leads to death. If you and I want to live well, there's only one way to get there. And that's to choose the wisdom of God, wisdom of God in Proverbs, wisdom of God that's consistent beyond Proverbs and all of Scripture from Genesis to Revelation, the wisdom of God that's consistent throughout all of history where we choose to live well and live, live life His way. In the middle of these two sections, uh, Solomon gives his son kind of this interlude of instruction. It links the two together. He shows him what it'll look like if he rejects the wisdom of God. So someone who rejects the wisdom of God is a mocker. It's someone who has rejected, who has turned from the wisdom of God and said, I don't need his ways. I'll do it my own way. Or someone who is wise and chooses his way. A mocker is not the same as the gullible. The gullible are unlearned. They don't know what they don't know. Uh, they're looking for advice when it comes to marriage and life and relationships. Will they accept God's wisdom or will they reject it? And look at this interlude, verses seven through 12. Whoever corrects a mocker invites insults. Whoever rebukes the wicked incurs abuse. Do not rebuke mockers or they will hate you. Rebuke the wise and they will love you. If you've ever had a conversation with someone and you were a disciple of King Jesus, you uh, live under the authority of King Jesus, and you go to someone who has rejected God and his way and his word, and you try to be critical and tell them how their living is wrong, you're setting yourself up to be bitten in return. You've probably experienced that before. And the father warns the son, listen, you're not going to get very far reasoning with a mocker, someone who has rejected, because they have to, they have to take one more step before they'll hear you. They have to experience the folly of their life and understand that they need to become gullible and unlearned again to relearn how life is under God's authority. 
Instead, instruct the wise and they will be wiser still. When you find someone who wants to honor King Jesus and you speak a harder word into their life because you've observed something that goes against the counsel of scripture, that goes against the wisdom of God, they may not like it, but they will receive it because they wanna keep growing in their wisdom. Teach the righteous and they will add to their learning. Verse 10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Verse 11, for through wisdom, your days will be many and your and years will be added to your life. If you are wise, your wisdom will reward you. If you're a mocker, you alone will suffer. And so he paints the benefits of wisdom if you respond to Lady Wisdom. The dangers of mocking God and that leads into the voice of woman folly. And at the heart of this interlude is verse 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Again, the beautiful construction of Proverbs. Solomon begins Proverbs chapter one, verse seven, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. He culminates and ends this prologue with the same sentiment. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. He is saying to his son, listen, if you will see who God is, if you will respect and appreciate and stand in awe of his might and his majesty and his greatness, if you'll acknowledge that he has absolute authority over your life and his authority and his instructions and his will will go against sometimes what you feel, it'll go against your experiences, but you will choose him and his ways instead of everyone else's, you will find wisdom. And that's the choice that God presents to every one of us. Will we trust him? Will we trust God at his word? Will we believe and fear the Lord and, 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 and stand in all of him? Understand that sometimes what I feel about my life or about my desires may not line up with his word, but I will trust him and allow it to inform my feelings. I will allow his word to inform my experience, not my experiences to inform his word or my feelings to inform his word, but I will start with him. That's where the fear of the Lord begins. It's the beginning of wisdom. Will we choose wisdom or folly? How do we get there? The very first week of this series, the first week of June, uh, in my introduction, I said that it's impossible without Jesus. Jesus came that we have, might have life and life in the full. He is the way, he is the truth, he is the life. He is the way to living in wisdom. We cannot do it apart from him. I share with you then the words of Colossians chapter two, verses two and three, but I wanna show you these other ones that help us see that, that Jesus is wisdom in its fullness. Look at Luke chapter two, verse 52. And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. When Jesus is in the temple courts, he goes to his family to, to celebrate Passover. They travel back to Nazareth, get down the road, and realize Jesus isn't with them. How you forget Jesus, I don't know. I'm sure they're gonna get made fun of for the rest of eternity for that. But they forgot Jesus. He's not with them. And where is he at? He's reasoning with the religious leaders in the synagogue. And it tells us that he grew in wisdom. Look at Matthew chapter 11, verse 19. Jesus says this of himself. The son of man came eating and drinking, and they say, here is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But what does Jesus say of himself? But wisdom is proved right by her deeds. That sounds a lot like Proverbs, doesn't it? He's saying, I am wisdom. 
Colossians chapter 2, verses 2 and 3. My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of what? Wisdom and knowledge. What we see and hear in Proverbs and any other place in Scripture when it comes to living well and living wisely, it's found and seen and made possible in Jesus. We cannot live well apart from him. If you've heard the instruction in this series from Proverbs and you recognize that it's hard, you're right. But it is possible through him. And guess what? The same things we see about Lady Wisdom are true of Jesus. Jesus offers us an invitation. Jesus' first words to his disciples were, come, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. Jesus says to those who are around him in the crowd, come to me, all of you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. He, he says, come, he invites us. What does Jesus do time and time again with his disciples, with Pharisees, with, with notorious sinners? He dines with them. He, he offers them intimacy. The God of the heaven understands that we are broken by sin. He understands that our sin separates us from life with him. He understands that our sinful inclinations, our sinful nature will keep us from pursuing his wisdom and instead be enticed by the folly of the enemy and the folly of the world. But he offers us through Jesus rescue. And if we will believe and trust that God's son Jesus came and he lived and he died and he rose again and that we can believe in him, have faith in him, repent of living life our way and choose his. We can confess that he is our Lord, our master, our king. And as we do that, our faith drives us into the waters of baptism where we identify with Christ's death and we're raised to life with him and we experience the newness of life. His spirit fills us and he guides us in the way of wisdom. And he offers that to every one of us and he makes it possible for you and I to live well, but it's only found in Jesus. If you have not made a decision to express saving faith in Jesus Christ, that's your first step. What is it that's holding you back? Why have you delayed? You need to know more about Jesus. Then let's talk. have you talked to someone. If you're here as the guest of somebody that invited you to church, ask them what Jesus means to them. If they don't have the answer, they'll bring somebody along. Reach out to one of us on staff. Reach out to one of our leaders, and we'll help you. You can do that. Email us, connect at LebanonChristian.org. Come forward and start a conversation at the end of a service. Scan the QR codes that say, let's connect. If you want to go old school, we got old school covered. Go to one of our communion stations and fill out a connection card and say, you want to know more about following Jesus? Let us help you encounter this one who can help you live well like you so desperately desire. Because he planted eternity in your heart. And the only way to experience eternity is to get with the eternal God who loves you, cares for you, died for you, so you can come to faith and, and follow him. If you've already made a decision to follow Jesus, and what stands before you in living well, it's probably repentance. Because if we're honest, every one of us at times walks down the street of life, and although we know the voice of Lady Wisdom, the voice of woman folly just feels so appealing. And so there are times when every one of us has chosen to go into her driveway, into her house of shambles, and we've tasted how awful it is and how bitter it is in the end. 
And we need to turn back and say, God, I want what you want. I want what you want for relationships. I want what you want for sexuality. I want what you want for uh, how I use words. I want what you want for, for how I spend money and how I look at money. I want what you want when it comes to work versus laziness. I want what you want when it comes to attitude or anger or alcohol or you name it. I want what you want. And what is it that you need to turn from and instead turn to him so that you can live well? Your God that made you is for you. He is not against you. He has a life of fullness for you. So before I pray, I'll end with the words of Jesus that we started this whole series with, John chapter 10, verse 10. The thief, the enemy of God, Satan, the adversary, the master of foolishness, comes only to steal, to rob you of life, to kill, to destroy your life to destroy, to destroy the things that matter the most to us who are made in God's image. But Jesus says, I have come that you might have life and have it in the full. Let's respond to his invitation. Let's live in intimacy with him. Let's follow the voice of Lady Wisdom. Let's pray. God, I thank you. I thank you for your word that is a lamp for our feet. It is a light for our path. And God, may we hold it in our hearts that we might not sin against you. God, help us. Help us to trust your wisdom. Help us to lean into your voice. Help us to follow you. God, help us to be that wise builder that Jesus pictures in Matthew chapter seven who chooses to build their lives on the foundation of your words and your promises and your wisdom. God, help us to, to run from foolishness and building our house upon the sand, God, because when the storms come and they do come in life, what will stand firm are those built on the foundation of you. God, help us to live and to build on your wisdom. In your name we pray, amen.